Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name is Joe Glover. Thank you so much for listening today. Today we have Max Hoppy of Bind. Max is a mate, but he's also someone who's been on a journey, a journey of self-improvement, uh, whether that's his Ironman training, whether that's his charitable fundraising, or indeed the topic of today's conversation about becoming a better presenter, a better presenter of speeches, pitches, and presentations, um, but in all sorts of ways. Max is not someone who would identify as a natural public speaker. And yet over the past weeks, months, and years, he's developed into someone who has stood on some of the biggest stages on some of the biggest events across Europe, across the world, um, just speaking about his thing. It's something that he's done uh, off his own back, which is amazing. Today, we're going to hear Max's personal story about what that looked like, but then also some tips for getting ready for yourself on personal readiness, but also speech readiness in terms of getting your, your content ready uh, for your pitches, presentations or speeches. It was a brilliant session and for me, almost like the prototypical uh, marketer meetup talk. There was a bunch of humanity in there, but there was so much more in terms of practicality. Uh, and just general usefulness that I really think anyone who invests the time in listening today is going to take an awful lot from it. There's also a bit of banter between the two of us, as for some reason I managed to not use, not set up the chat feature in the right way this week. Um, so uh, that's what the in-joke is, as you'll hear it throughout the duration of, of today's presentation. Before we get going, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, our featured sponsors for this week, who are Cambridge Marketing College. Now, I could say a lot about Cambridge Marketing College, but I think the thing that I want you to know the most is that they are the go-to place for marketing qualifications, whether that's your CIM or CIPRs. They're also the place you can go to to get marketing apprentices uh, and indeed train up uh, through your marketing apprenticeships. They're an amazing company full of lovely, lovely people, uh, but they're really good at what they do too. So do take the time to check out Cambridge Marketing College. The URL is marketingcollege.com. They did really well to grab that one. With all that said, now's the time to hand over to Max and get going with today's presentation. I really hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Dude, really, uh, thanks for having me. I'm sorry the chat function has upset you, uh, but we'll survive. We will survive. We'll be fine. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. I'm, 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 I am upset about that because honestly, it's always so great. But you know what? We're going to persevere because communities uh, do just that. So yeah, keep that chat feature going in the Q&A. And, uh, You've planted a little seed I will pick on during this presentation. But when you present or pitch or do any speaking, um, there's a couple of things you've got. A bit. One is you've got to test all the little gadgets and gizmos that could go wrong. <laughs> And I know you'll have probably done that. So the second thing you need as a get out of jail free card mm. is what are you going to do when it goes, when, when something doesn't quite go right, you want to have probably practiced for that in some way. Yeah. Anyway, so I feel that that's a, an appropriate tee up, Joe. <laughs> I think, I think we've done well. <laughs> nice. Over to you, my friend. So the title of this uh, presentation is how to deliver great presentations, speeches, and pitches. And before we get into it, I'll build on Joe's introduction. This slide uh, sums up my career in marketing. So I started off life selling washing machines online. 
I also sold some double, double ovens, refrigerators, which today, uh, fun facts, which I wasn't planning to share, fridge sales when the weather goes hot go bananas because for what appliances break down when they've got to work harder. So the appliance retailers put the prices up. So if you're thinking of buying a fridge and you don't need to, I would just hold off until the temperature drops again. Okay, I left the world of appliances and I joined Google and I helped other people sell stuff online. All sorts of things, skateboards, laser eye surgery, everything in the middle of those two uh, kind of juxtaposed things. I then wanted to start a family. And my family and my wife's family were in the North. So I left London and I looked for a job in digital marketing and I got a job as a head of digital marketing at Iceland Foods. Now I don't talk about this job very much. It's not on my LinkedIn. And it's because I was only there for three months. It was, uh, I went down in flames. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in a few slides time. So what happened next? Well, I felt I was unemployable. So I started my own agency with my brother and a chap called Will Pigeon, who's not my biological brother, but he feels like a brother from another mother. He's a wonderful man. And that's what I'm doing today. And we, you know, we do digital marketing and our thing, I suppose our positioning is we only work with 10 clients. That's, that's kind of baked into our positioning. And that, that's quite deliberate. It's because we want to do the deep, we want to do the work that allows you to spend a load of time in the business. So we put this kind of beautiful constraints on the agency from day one that we won't work with more than 10 people. Now I've got another thing that I've recently started doing, and that is uh, something called the Keynote Club. The Keynote Club has been going for three months. It's a public speaking club for marketers. It's free. And we meet on Zoom like this every two weeks and we practice. We practice. You know, it's just a place to practice and learn how to get better at public speaking. So there's my potted career in a slide. This is what we're going to go through today. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a backstory, which I suppose is a built out version of the career slide that you just saw, but I'm going to try and isolate some things in that story that hopefully will be helpful to you. We're then going to switch gear and I'm going to talk about something called personal readiness. When you're going to speak, present, pitch, how do you get your mind in the right place to do a great job? We're going to switch gear again and talk about speech readiness. That's a different thing. Speech readiness is about whipping your speech, your, your story, your pitch into shape so that when you deliver it well, it lands and you create some sort of change. That's usually what you're trying to do. And I'll end this session with uh, some signposting of where you could go next if you want to practice and get better at public speaking. Okay, let's go. As I'm a marketer, I like a graph. Digital marketer, we like graphs. So I'm going to tell my backstory with a graph. Let me introduce the graph. On the horizontal, uh, on the vertical rather, vertical, horizontal, I get those confused, vertical axes, we have... Um, good fortune at the top, bad fortune at the bottom. The horizontal axis is the B, E axis, the beginning and the end. Shit. So the worst happened. 
literally the like I don't believe you can get worse than this. I stood up. If you if you've not noticed, Iceland Foods is right in the bad fortune start of the story part of the graph. I stood up in front of I don't know forty people to present, and a little voice entered my head, and it said, "Don't panic." And of course, I start. You know what, what else are you going to do but start to panic? That little voice then said make sure you keep breathing. And suddenly my breathing became labored. My heart rate started going and I couldn't speak. I, I had a panic attack. You know, that's, that's what you, you'd call what I had. And I don't know how long I didn't speak. I, I don't really have good time memory of it. It felt like a long time. I then managed to tell everybody that I was having a panic attack. And in doing that, weirdly, I grounded myself. You know, I, I suppose I came into the moment because I'm telling everyone that I was having a panic attack. And I was able to finish the presentation that I was doing. And about three weeks after that event, I quit my job. Um, I told myself I was quitting for reasons that were nothing to do with that uh, panic attack event, but with a bit of uh, distance and perspective from it, I quit because I was embarrassed and ashamed. And I fed myself rational reasons that I should leave as well. And some of those were true, but the reason I left was not, not those things. I left because I was embarrassed that I'd had a panic attack in front of four people. So I now had a choice. I had a choice to either let this thing stop me ever speaking again. You know, I wouldn't be here today. If I'd, well, you know, well, bollocks, I've given away the choice now, haven't I? So I had a choice of never speaking again or trying to not let this thing stop me. Okay. And I'm, I'm really proud that I decided to do the latter. And the first thing I did, it probably took a couple of months. It maybe wasn't like the day after. I joined a public speaking charity called Toastmasters. Toastmasters is an American organization it has been going for a long time maybe a hundred years and on a weekly basis you meet uh, in your local town or city and you learn about what makes a good speech and you practice and I think the other thing that you do that's really helpful is you mix with other people trying to do the same thing and, and, and you see, and two things happen, actually. You're massively inspired by people that clearly have fear that lean into it and do it anyway. But then you also realize this thing can be learned because you see people that clearly don't have the natural, they didn't start with the natural ingredients, delivering, delivering powerful speeches. And it's really inspiring. So I went to Toastmasters to rebuild. I then decided I wanted to take my speaking out of Toastmasters, out of the bubble of Toastmasters. But I didn't want to risk my job. So I approached universities and I asked if I could speak to their students about marketing. And this door actually is really open. Lots of, lots of unis are desperate for practitioners that have got, um, I don't know, like relevant cutting edge, bleeding edge experience to come and talk to the students and also add some variety to the module. 
So I spoke at all sorts of unis, Manchester, um, the University of Bradford, Salford. Joe introduced me to the University of Cambridge, actually. Thanks, Joe. Uh, and, I, and I just cut my teeth speaking to these students. By the way, that was quite scary. Like a group of students, it's a big number often, and they're not, they're on TikTok. They're not giving you like feedback that you're doing a good job. So it's a really nice place to practice. And if it goes wrong, you don't have to hand in your notice. So what happened next? Okay, we're now above the good fortune line. We're in the, we're in the, we're in the clear. I started working on my mind. So I did things, Joe referenced Iron Man. Like that's no, that's linked to this. I started exercising uh, every day, uh, which I still do. And that, that's, a, that's one of the best habits, I think actually, that I hope I don't ever lose. Um, I absolutely love it. Uh, and it helps me in so many ways, mentally, as well as physically. And what, one of the things that I, I struggled with more than exercise, exercise came quite naturally, was meditation. And I challenged myself to meditate 100 days in a row, which I did. I now don't. I meditate as and when, um, probably a couple of times a week. Uh, but I did my 100. So we're, we're, in a, we're in a great place. You know, done, solved. Until, until it happened again. In an environment like this, I was working uh, quite like a side hustle. And I was working as a teaching assistant for Scott Galloway, who is a fam reasonably famous marketing professor in the States. He lectures at uh, NYU Stern. He has a podcast called Pivot and an ed tech startup called Section 4, where I was a teaching assistant. I still am. And I was running a workshop with maybe, I don't know, 30 to 40 similar number <clears throat> people from all over the world. It was, it was a multinational audience. And the little voice entered my head and I just slammed my laptop. <laughs> and I composed myself. I was like, oh my God, they're all on the Zoom <laughs> waiting for this thing to start. I've said hello to some of them. Uh, composed myself, I think I got a glass of water and I rebooted my laptop and, and I did a good job. And I know I did a good job actually, because I got some feedback afterwards, uh, which I was, I was staggered by. So of all the 50, there are 50 teaching assistants, there's, there's a lot of us, and each of them are evaluated as kind of student uh, feedback, whatever. And I, I came top of the survey that they ran. Now, interestingly, um, and I'm really proud of that, actually. But I don't remind myself. I'm glad I put it in this presentation because I forgot. I don't remind myself of that. What I do remind myself of is the laptop slamming incident, which clearly had like no impact on the on the student experience. Clearly, but annoyingly, the human brain is wired to forget all the good. Forget the good stuff. Let's just dwell on the thirty seconds of disaster. Um, or perceived disaster. And I'm sure back in the day that was helpful. Like when we were up against saber-toothed tigers and we were living in caves, you know, being paranoid and fearful of dying, uh, you know, every, in every moment probably kept us alive. I think it's less useful today. Okay, the good news here is I'd already proven I could get out of the hole once. So I did a lot of the things that I've already spoken about already and some extras. The first extra one was making it public. 
This presentation is an example of that, actually. By making it public, one of the fears, the irrational fears you have with a fear of public speaking is that everyone's going to find you out. And if you make it public, you, well, you've done it. <laughs> you, you take that problem away because you've owned letting everyone find out. So I found talking about it publicly was actually a very helpful thing. And I loved a byproduct of that was I connected with so many people that are in the same boat that wrote to me privately. Um, I took a load of people to Toastmasters uh, actually on the back of doing this. So I made it public. I then hired a coach initially for my business because I wanted us to get good at pitching, like really good at pitching and presenting because that's kind of our battleground as an agency. So I hired Naluka, uh, who was recommended, I can't remember by who, but recommended by somebody in my network. And she did a training session, a three-part training session in my business, which is really affordable. Um, interestingly, she was working at KPMG at the time as head of marketing or something. And it was kind of her side hustle. So very affordable. And then since I've hired Naluka four or five times for like a one-on-one -on -one pre-game um, session. So before a big speech, I just book her in and, uh, the week before I go through it. Or, you know, I say, when I say speech, by the way, swap out presentation, like public speaking event. So big public speaking event. I get in a Luca for an hour and she has me present and she just breaks it down and gives me feedback. And I find that tightens my speeches up uh, enormously. Okay, I then uh, set more public speaking goals and they got progressively bigger. I didn't start off with the big stuff. You know, I started off with the unis and now I started going after things that were maybe more professionally interesting to me. And my big one last year, my biggest was Brighton SEO, which maybe, I don't know, like 3,000 people on the main stage, something like that. So um, for, for, for me, that was quite a big um, audience given where, where this story starts. And this year is no different. I have, I'm a bit of a goal setter. Uh, I have eight goals each year and you can see number six is complete 12 public speaking uh, things. This counts. So you're helping me today. Uh, thank you. And the end of the story, which I'm very proud of. I am. I'm delighted with this. We start the keynote club uh, three months ago which is now help, you know, it's helping uh, probably 20 marketers every, every fortnight, which is just, just a wonderful thing. And, the, and the, 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 the real messed up thing about this is the keynote club wouldn't exist were it not for the start of the story, the Iceland um, disaster, it wouldn't exist. So I no longer, I wouldn't swap the Iceland thing now, no way. I needed the fuel from it to do the keynote club. And I think this is another one of life's um, fucked up lessons, right? Um, forgive the profanity, but anything good I seem to have done in my life tends to start with something pretty rubbish. Uh, you know, my MBA, I messed up my undergrad degree. My Ironman, I felt like I was a skinny, weak kid growing up. Like there's always something that I tap into that's like quite painful actually, that then allows me to do things that make me really proud and fulfilled. And something, something in there, I don't know. Let's move on. Okay, we've done the backstory. 
where are we in this presentation? We've done part one. And I shared how a couple of panic attacks led to quite a lot of change in personal growth. And this was a classic. If I was going to analyze how I just delivered that, um, I just used a very simple story structure that is kind of the, it's the voyage and return story um, where man or woman goes out, hits trial and tribulation, things get a bit better, they get a bit worse, they get a bit better again. Right, personal readiness, what on earth is this about? So in that uh, story I just presented, I thought a lot about these two, uh, I reflected a lot about these two events, probably too much, some of it not healthy, but a lot of it actually good healthy reflection because I isolated the common themes that uh, triggered them to happen. And there were three. The first one, and th these are obvious by the way. The first one, I didn't know the content. At Iceland Foods, I didn't tell you that 10 minutes before speaking, that's when I'd been asked to speak and I was presenting somebody else's uh, PowerPoint presentation. And I remember this vividly. I do the slide clicker and I look back. There's this graph on the slide. I have absolutely no idea what it means or what it's saying. So I look again. No, nope, no idea. And that was the actual initial trigger for the little voice in my head. Um, forgive me one minute. My light's just gone off. I'll, I'll switch it back on. Ten seconds. We're back. We're back. Okay, so Iceland, I'm presenting something. I've never, I've not even seen it. I knew the theme of what I was supposed to be presenting, but I didn't know the slides. So of course I wasn't prepared. At section four, I'm presenting Scott Galloway's marketing framework. I don't know it. It's clunky in my mouth and it should, it should kind of just, you know, it, when, when you've practiced well, it should just kind of you know, slip off the tongue easily. Second common theme. There was a high stress moment within 15 minutes of me starting to speak. At Iceland Foods, I had an altercation with a colleague, a lovely lady called Wendy Swash, who I, I love dearly. Um, we spoke quite recently and it wasn't, it wasn't like we didn't have a fight, but we just disagreed on something. And I think voices were slightly raised, heart rate went up, blood pressure went up. At section four, I was presenting this workshop, I was running this workshop at 8 p.m. UK time because the course was on East Coast of America time, so it's quite late. And about, I don't know, 20 minutes before, I was trying to get a child to, to sleep, uh, a one-year-old child that was having absolutely none of it and was just screaming in my face. And I then had to pass the child to my wife, who was then quite grumpy with me that I was just leaving her with... Um, with a screaming child to go off and, you know, hunting uh, on Zoom with a load of Americans. So uh, quite high stress, not mindful uh, in the 15 minutes before both panic attacks. And then finally, which is the story of my life, I suspect yours, I was tired, but I was particularly tired. I hadn't rested the night before. I think I'd, I'd had a half bottle of wine the night before um, the Iceland experience. So the conclusion here is I didn't have, I didn't know what, I, didn't, I hadn't coined personal readiness um, at the time, but I then thought, right, I wasn't, I didn't get my mind ready. I wasn't personally ready for these events. So what can I do 
to get to make sure that doesn't happen again. So I created a good old checklist, the personal readiness checklist, seven points. Now there's three kind of themes here. The first theme is about um, practice. Okay, how have I got my reps in? And I literally do tally my practice for this event. I try and practice in the environment that I'm going to be presenting in, whether that's, that's a stage, I will try and get to the room. This is a bit different because it's virtual. And I'll want to do it in front of humans. I do a lot of recording myself, uh, but I'll also want to look at someone in the white of the eyes. And then finally, which Joe demonstrated in a beautiful way at the start of this uh, talk, is that I will make sure all of my equipment's tested. Um, I will double check the chat function so I don't disappoint all the people that were desperate today to use that chat functionality. Here's my proof, by the way. There's my tally. Um, the, uh, the thing on the right-hand side is a useful, a useful little tool called Soapbox. It's a little browser extension that allows you to record yourself while presenting a deck and then watch it back. So I use that quite a lot and there's others. I think Loom is a good example of that as well and they don't need to cost anything. And C3 is an agency in Leeds. They're actually a competitor. And a few weeks ago, they asked me to present to their team on this topic. And I said, yeah, um, for two reasons. One, they made a charity donation for me to do it, um, which is, was actually very generous of them. But two was because of you guys. I, I was using them as my practice in front of people. I didn't tell them that. Not that they'd mind, but they were my, there was 30 to 50 people in that one. There's hundreds in this one. So it was just a nice stepping stone to be able to do it in front of you guys today. Okay, five and six. This one is about, it's about fighting the stress. So have I exercised on the day of the speech? Have I done something mindful? That 30 minutes before, protect it. Um, and I try and do something mindful. Today, what did this mean? It meant I was running this morning. I run most mornings. And uh, right before me and Joe had a little sink at quarter past eight, I was on my headspace at 10 past eight, which Joe, I didn't tell him, but now you know. Um, and I just do that. It's one of my little habits. Before a big speech, I'll just do a 10-minute semi-guided meditation and just, just sit with my, my head. And finally, um, the sleep. You can't guarantee a good night's sleep, particularly if you've got young children, but you can control for a few things. You can decide not to drink alcohol. So I now will never drink alcohol the night before a speech. And the second thing you can control for is the time you get into bed. Yeah, you might not drop off to sleep, but I make sure I'm in bed for nine o'clock before a speech. Now, if it isn't obvious, all that stuff's a load of work. It's a load of time, particularly the repetitions. And it does, it takes time. I put out a post on LinkedIn um, four months ago, I think it says. And the title of it was something like um, uh, how to make a five to seven minute speech look easy. And the reason you can't read the slide, which is deliberate, is because there's a load of stuff that goes into making a five to seven minute speech look easy. There's a load of time. And I think it's the same for anything. If you want to get good at anything hard, you've got to put the reps in. You've got to put the work in. Okay. I'll leave you with a little confession. I actually don't always do all seven, but what I do do, for, well, for the big ones I do, for the big ones I do, 
But even the little ones, I will hit all three bases. I will make sure I'm familiar with the content. I will do something mindful right before. And I will, I will always do the nine o'clock no booze thing. Personal readiness done. So where are we? Um, we did the backstory, the man in the hole story, got in the hole, out the hole, back in the hole, out the hole. I then shared how I'd reflected on the two panic attack incidents. And I gave you three things that I found were common, um, not being familiar with the content, not having something shit happen within 30 minutes of speaking, got my stress up and not protecting the night before and trying to save the sleep. We're now going to talk about speech readiness, which is a little bit different. I'm going to talk about the anatomy of a speech presentation pitch. Now I learned about what I think makes a good speech presentation or pitch in these places and some others, but these were the big ones. Toastmasters, we, there's quite a lot of education attached to Toastmasters and you break it down and you realize it can be learned. Niluka brought a different perspective. Niluka studied rhetoric at Harvard University and would often bring uh, philosophy actually, she brings philosophy into how she um, critiques speeches. She talks about Socrates and rhetoric and things, which I find fascinating and a different dimension. And then the keynote club is where I continue to practice. So I'm gonna talk about seven things that I think make a great speech. Number one, obviously, is, is it interesting? Kind of getting on base. Now, even though that sounds obvious, I think you can just, you can lift the bonnet on it a little bit. And I think of a few things. Does the speech have a purpose? Does it then deliver on what it sets out to, to do? And does that match what the audience wants? And I was thinking about this for, for you guys. This is kind of like marketing strategy, you know, segmentation, targeting, positioning. Targeting and positioning, it's like kind of, the same, I'm saying the same stuff, different words. Is the speech positioned? And does it kind of have a target? And does that position match the target? It's kind of marketing strategy. It's the same with public speaking. Think of, is it interesting? Is it purposeful? Number two, can I hear it? And is it clear? This is get on base stuff, but actually I messed up last Tuesday. I helped Joe run the marketing meet at Manchester and we forgot the microphone. And we had a great guy talking, Duke Tanzan, the marketing director at Misguided, but the people at the back, they couldn't hear him. So however good he was, it doesn't really, you know, he may have done the best presentation that the people in the front row have ever heard in their lives. The people on the back row have no idea. It, it just doesn't matter. So making sure the basics are in place is actually critical. And I see that missed by quite a lot of natural orators. They don't do the prep on it enough. And clarity is important. In my world, digital marketing, it's just, I mean, you, it's just stuffed full of TLAs, three letter acronyms, PPC, SEO, CPC, CTR. When we're pitching to the CMO, um, there's my dad joke. When we're pitching to the chief marketing officer, the, uh, you know, it's, it's frankly em embarrassing a lot of the things I see agencies do because the people in those jobs in the C-suite have so much in the, coming at the brains. If you hit them with more um, acronymy, 
lingo, um, it doesn't it, it doesn't work. And you and you and you don't land your message, create the change that you want to change. So I speak in. I'm from Bolton originally, and I think it serves me well to speak in a bit of Boltonese, particularly with the senior, the really senior decision makers. I often make my language even simpler and bolton it up a bit. And I find that it's a misconception that you need to use long, complicated words with that audience to impress them. In my experience, it's the exact opposite. I also watch out for filler words. Filler words are things like ums, so's, ers. Now, I don't kill them all, but I do. It was interesting at Toastmasters, people actually count how many ers you, you say when you speak. And I did this little five minute talk, maybe even less. And they're like, yeah, you had um, 19 ers. 19. And that's, I don't want zero. I don't want one in every sentence. And it does just undermine your credibility. The experts don't have too many ers, ums, sos. So it's something that um, I actually think you can go around, you can be quite unaware that you do it. So it's helpful to find that out, how many filler words you use, and then maybe work on uh, tightening your speech and using uh, a few, a few fewer, a few fewer. Terrible grammar, let's move on. Structure, you know this one, beginning, middle and end. It's really important that people know where they are in a speech or presentation or pitch. And a movie, by the way, this, this kind of goes for any type of communication. The really weird art house movies that about three people like that end at weird time, you know, like it ends when they open the black box and you're like, really? And it's just deeply unfulfilling. Um, but people, like those, they don't use this and it's, and, it's, and it's a problem. It's why they don't get a mainstream audience. So structure is important. I think you can do some clever things to signal what's coming next and do mini summaries as you go. I've been doing that. I'm trying to signal this behavior in this talk. When I get to the end of a section, I say I'm at the end of the section. I repeat kind of what I've said, and then I signal what's next. And then when you start getting really good at this, you can start thinking about the shape in terms of the story arc of your narrative. And I referenced the uh, voyage and return, kind of the man on the journey story that maybe I the structure I used at the start of this uh, talk. There are lots of others, well, there's, there's, there's seven others. And this book that I've screenshotted um, goes through the seven basic plots that basically all narratives hang off. They sometimes combine them. And when we pitch at Bind, I will use a killing the monster uh, narrative. So early on, I'll kind of say, okay, this is what we know about the situation. My analysis of what we know, I will just weave in some pretty scary monsters. They're not made up. <laughs> they exist. I can't. It's not about lying. It's about emphasizing certain points at certain times to make your story stronger. So I will start by dropping some big monsters in the heads of the decision makers. And sure enough, as my presentation goes on, together, we're gonna kill that monster. <laughs> and you can do clever things like, uh, depending on the client, you may wanna, some clients wanna be really hands off and they want you to solve solve all their problems without them in the room. Just go and do it for me. In which case you can be the slayer of the monster. Some clients want to come on the journey with you. In which case, make them the hero. You become the Gandalf. You're the Gandalf that's going to help them discover themselves to kill this monster. And you can do really nice things with uh, stories to help with your 
pitches and presentations. Okay, let's move on. Vocal variety. Now I work on this one and I struggle because my tone, as I speak to you now, I'm in this very similar kind of tone bracket and I try and get out of it, but I just default to it. Now there are other things you can do. Uh, volume is another thing you can play with. And I, I do that, you'll notice I've done some whispering into the microphone and I might get loud at certain points and I certainly change my speed. I put in pauses. I don't always, I'm quite good at doing that on the fly, but the big pauses you've got to plan for, the three seconders, when you're, you need to know where they're gonna be. And you wanna do them when you make a really impactful point. You wanna just leave it hanging. And it feels really uncomfortable actually when you do it. So force yourself to count in your head, one, two, three. And your audience won't feel as uncomfortable as you at all actually, but you will, you'll be desperate to speak. You can also speed up. I speed up when I wanna, when it kind of matches my narrative. So I was talking about creativity recently and I was trying to make the point that when you're busy, it's hard to have creative thoughts. So I think I said, did something like when you're um, sat at your desk, you got your emails opening, you're getting WhatsApp slacks, you've got, oh, you're on a deadline, your boss is da 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 da. And I just got the tempo da 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 to match the point that I was trying to make. Okay. Number five, hand gestures, physical movement, body language. Harder on Zoom than in person, but not impossible. You can do, you can do things. You can also, you've noticed that I've done a bit of this. You can get close. I wear glasses, I've not got them on, put them on. One little trick, if I really wanna make a point. So I wanna just switch the vibe, like I wanna switch the tempo. Maybe I wanna slow it right down and really emphasize some points in a presentation. Take my glasses off. Maybe get a bit closer and then I'll do, and, I'll, and that will be quite deliberate. So now you know, if you see me take my glasses off, I've probably like embarrassingly thought about that at that time. Okay, number six. If you're using a deck as I am now, does it enhance the speech? And most of the time in work, we're using decks when we present and pitch. Now, I could do a whole session on decks. Uh, I've got some strong points of view, some of them slightly wild, and um, I'll have to save them for another day, but I'll give you three things, three things that I think are really important. And I would say, actually, if the one change you make on the back of hearing me talk today is the first one, it'll have been a no-brainer that you turn up today. So the first point, make the title of your slide land the main point that you're trying to deliver. I'm gonna say it again, because it's too important not to. Make the title of your slide land the main point that you want to deliver. Here's why. Because people don't read your slides. Some do, most don't. The thing that's read the most is the title, simple. So use it, like that's your, that's your workhorse on the slide. An example, I'll just give you an example of, of what I mean by it. So let's say that we've just delivered um, 500 new customers, 500 extra customers in July versus June. Brilliant news. So a way that you could present that on a slide is June versus July performance. And then you have a graph or a bar chart and then the point that July is better than June. Or, which I think is the wrong answer, or you say, July beat June, or July we acquired 500 more customers than June, because that's the actual meat that you're trying to land. And then you have your graph and your supporting points. 
It's a subtle change that makes a huge difference. Next point, something visual. There are three types of learner, an auditory learner, a visual learner, a kinesthetic learner. The kinesthetic is learning by doing and feeling. When you present, don't ignore the visual one. It's like a third of people. So I add, I just add something with visual interest to just hang a few, hang the points off, even if it's something daft, like I've deliberately shown you a, like a simple example, a couple of emojis, it just adds some visual interest to a slide. And the final thing that I would suggest you do is when you are reviewing your beautiful deck before you present it, just imagine that your audience is on their smartphone, sat on the toilet, just flicking through it. And they may be just scanning the slide titles. Does your narrative get across? Do the main points get across? Do the main takeaways get across? It's the toilet test. Imagine, I mean, don't literally imagine, but you, you get the point. Okay, let's move on. Finally, the most unhelpful slide in this presentation, because how do you do this? Is the speaker comfy and relaxed? Now, this one actually, for me, <coughs> is all about personal readiness, getting your mind right. The first part of this, um, this presentation, personal readiness. And then I think if you do some work on the speech readiness, you will naturally, uh, you'll just start delivering a good speech and you'll kind of ease into it and it'll feel good and then you'll get more comfy and that'll be obvious and et cetera, et cetera. So here is, um, let's, let's end this section with two things. Here is a slide that breaks my slide etiquette rule. And all it is, I just want to demonstrate, this is the scorecard we use at uh, the keynote club. When someone does a speech, we evaluate it and uh, we give them feedback and then they hopefully can work on certain areas and try and get better. And I just want to impress upon you that this is a learn, this can be a learned thing. This absolute, I've seen people that suck at public speaking smash people that actually are naturals because they try harder and work at this. And my, my, my little bit of advice, I suppose, to, to end this section on is don't try and do all things at once. This is a one brick at a time. I usually have one thing I'm focusing on for each speech that I do. Okay. So where are we? We've uh, done the backstory, personal readiness, and we've just dissected what makes up a great speech. And I've just signaled a nice mini summary. So we're going to conclude on what you should do next, should you want to work at speaking, presenting, pitching. If it's not obvious, I've been practicing a lot. And actually for years now, not months, not weeks, for years. And I think I'm probably at about 10%. Like, a, like I'm not nearly finished. I don't, this is not finished article that you're seeing in any, in any way. Loads of working areas. And I will continue to build this muscle. And I believe that if I stop, it'll atrophy. And I made the um, another slightly cringing LinkedIn post was I've made this comparison. I think that, that muscle, like if, you, if you're a gym person, there's so much crossover with building muscle and building the oratory muscle. Um, it's about starting quite small reps and sets, rest, resting the mind, preparing the mind and giving yourself time. So where can you get your reps in? The three places I'll signpost are Toastmasters. If you Google your town or city in Toastmasters, you'll find a club. Uh, if, you, if you can't find one, if you're in um, somewhere, I don't know, like the Shetland Islands, 
there will be a um, virtual club that I'm sure you can join. It's about £15 a month. So it's an accessible price point and it's a charity. They're not trying to make money out of you every, you know, every angle. Another thing you might try is you could reach out to Naluka. I asked her permission to give uh, you her name, Naluka Kavanagh. Um, if you search for her on LinkedIn, she's got Oxford in the background. Christ, she studied at, she studied at Oxford, then Harvard. That makes me feel insecure. Um, but she's lovely. She's actually just an absolute lovely human. So I really um, suggest you reach out to her if you're interested. And finally, come to the keynote club. It's free. We do it every two weeks, Thursday at 12 noon. So it's in working hours. If you work for a company <coughs> that's like normal, like of course they'll give you an hour to do something that's like this because it's going to help you be better at your job. And you can sign up. Um, our website is thekeynoteclub.com and just click the register. I can't remember what the CTA is. It's the first CTA you come to. It's massive. I think it might be purple. And this is why it's worth it. This is the um, a message I got from somebody. And I've had, I've, it's been going three months. People have got new jobs. They've won big, the biggest deals they ever have done. They've done things they didn't think that they would be able to do. And this was the first little message that validated that we were onto something after the first event. I'll read the first two sentences. I think last night might have been a turning point for me. I'm finding myself wondering this morning what I can do next. And the beautiful truth here is that lots of people that don't do public speaking or are scared of it have got all these, these limits that they've put on themselves. Limiting beliefs, I think, is the expression. And they're exactly that, they're beliefs. They're not reality, they're beliefs. But they're, but they're, they're real in that they do stop you when they're there. And at the keynote club, I think we show people how to smash through a limiting belief. And when they do it, they look at some of their other limiting beliefs in other parts of their life that have nothing to do with public speaking. And suddenly the world of possibility just feels clearer and more exciting. Let's end with a massive summary uh, with a load of emojis. So we've covered four things today. I started with a backstory. It was a man in a hole story. I got in a hole. I used that as fuel to get out of the hole and we launched the keynote club, which I'm very proud of. I then talked about personal readiness, getting your brain in the right place. I shared a tick list of seven things. I always cover three, lots of prep, doing something mindful right before you speak and protecting the night before. We then switched into speech readiness and I dissected what makes a decent speech, talked about seven things. And I shared at the end, perhaps work on one thing at once so that it's not overwhelming. And finally, I said, well, if you want to get your reps in, here's where you can go. And I'd love you to come to the keynote club. But if you do, I will not be held responsible for what else you go on to do. And you may well end up on Mars with Elon Musk. Thank you for uh, listening. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you, my friend. Um, there's, I'm just going to pick up on one chat message just here because it's, it's coming from John Torrens, who is another person who is very, very well versed in, in, in uh, speeches and pitches and presentations. He, he's, he's a coach as well in, in all of these things, his communications coach. And uh, he says, thank you, Max. That was excellent. And like, I, I just wanted to pick that out because there's a bunch of very, very lovely messages coming through right now. But um, 
from John in particular, then then that's high praise indeed. So uh, it shows how far you've come, my friend. So oh, appreciate yeah. that enormously. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of open questions. As you can see, Max, I actually managed to figure out the chat feature eventually. So uh, we, we got there in the end. So there's 18 open questions in the Q&A right now. <laughs> it's been a order, isn't it? So uh, let's go for some Q&A. Um, the, the first one I've read, uh, which is now the second question, uh, comes from Becca, who says, I tend to heavily rely on speaker notes out of fear of forgetting what I want to say, but then it doesn't sound authentic. Uh, any tips on how to ditch the speaker notes, please? It's a boring one. It is, it, it is about practice. From, so, I, so I believe that you can, learn, um, you can learn something verbatim. I mean, I actually don't. I started off by learning verbatim and then slowly learning a bit less verbatim. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one thing I will do is I might have the notes in my pocket so this is this is like a slightly dark one. Um, I don't mean to make it dark, but I had to speak at my dad's funeral last year, and I just knew that I just had it in my pocket. I need, I needed notes in my pocket. I never used them, and I've that's an extreme example. But then I've gone on to do that in some of the particularly ones that are high pressure to me. Um, I will have speaker notes in my my pocket, and I'll know I can use them if I want to. But she, but the quite the person who asked the question is right. The best speeches actually there is a bit of a riffing, mm. and uh, adapting if something happens that you can just latch onto it makes it more relevant um but the boring answer is practice um and you can do it in little stages so i'd be learning verbatim learning a bit less verbatim a bit less a bit less and then having some having a backup is having a backup plan when the chat doesn't work is always good same goes <laughs> speaking notes. <laughs> I, I, I did put in the chat feature when it when it turned on, but I will be swearing at you later. For, uh, <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much. Um, looped into this because there's there's a question I want to follow up with. It's a question from Dominic uh, who asks: Do you approach face to face presentations or speeches different to virtual ones? I mean, I, I actually do. Um, do I? I think as I started trying to do this face-to-face, -face, I've retrofitted what I do to Zoom and it just works. So um, all the things that I said are actually, um, I think about for face-to-face. -face. Body language is actually hard, even though it sounds easier face-to-face, -face, there's more opportunity to do it. I actually think it's harder. Um, if you're working on body language and it's not, it doesn't come natural. Some people naturally just use their arms when they communicate, some people don't. And I think when you try and bring that in and it's not natural to you, um, it takes a lot of time actually. And it can look, it actually can look quite weird when someone's trying to use body language and it's not natural. I think you get away with it more on Zoom because there's just less of you. So I think that certain things become harder face to face. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer, but I think that ge the general principles are absolutely remain the same. There is some nuance. I always try and get in the room. People don't always like that uh, if they're asked you to speak and they find it sometimes weird, I, 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 I insist. I'm coming in, I'm checking that that adapter thing works from my computer to yours. I think there's more, here's the thing actually, in face-to-face, -face, there's less technology that's at home, all the technology's in your control usually. Um, you know, me and Joe did a practice Zoom. In someone else's space, there's more things out of your control. So try and uh, shoehorn yourself into the environment early and make sure you've just tested all the things that aren't in your immediate control. 
Nice. I like that. And actually, um, it was one of the things that struck me when you were speaking about meditation, because I remember the first Manchester event that you and I ran together yeah. um, with James as well. And, and um, like, I don't know, it was like we were setting up for the event. And then like 10 minutes before it started or something like that, you, you just went, right, chaps, I'm, I'm just going to disappear and to, to, to go and meditate. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, it, it was a it was a thing for me because like, on one level, it was like, well, you know, Max is disappearing for 10 minutes. But on another, you were quite insistent that that was a thing that you were going to do. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there here when you're speaking about the technology, which is, you know, it's okay to sort of be a little bit more insistent on your routine or like knowing where the lines are or knowing that the technology works or whatever it is. Because if you're going to be the one presenting, then you're going to be, you have to be comfort comfortable. You know, a lot of the theme of what you're presenting today was along those lines. So. I think being insistent certainly served you really well in that moment. Um, and um, I, th I just think it was a really good idea and an example of you practically applying it. So um, there we go. Um, there's the next question that comes from Ellie. Um, and Ellie asks, uh, do you think giving a good introduction to yourself or backstory helps deliver better presentations or speeches? Often I find there's pressure to get straight into the business or maximize on time with content, but I think doing this can help uh, make you more personable and maybe hook your audience in more. I mean, um, I, think, I think she nailed it. I th well, two things I'll say is, you wanna practice your very first sentence, actually, I think. I see a lot of people start with really weak words, like so, so is a really common one. So, it's not a disaster. It's just not, it, like, there's just a better way of, of, of opening. And your opening is like any introduction in life. There is a, first introductions are important. The uh, point on personal story first, I, I think it's good because we connect with, like, we connect, yeah, you want to learn about some rational stuff that's going to be uh, in the presentation. That's why you turned up. But then at the same time, we crave emotional connection. We want to connect with humans. Um, a lot of people in this community definitely do know. I see that all the time. So I'm, I'm very pro. It doesn't need to be that long. Is it like if, if there's pressure to um, reduce it, I, uh, you can do it with, with a minute or even probably 30 seconds. But I think an introduction is important for me. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, one thing I will say is I see a lot of critique about speeches. And a lot of it, the critique is the opposite of the point that's made here. Why wasn't there an introduction to the person? I didn't know who was speaking. I actually see that critique quite often, certainly more than the other way around. Interesting. No, bang on. That's a really, really good point. I'm moving through these because like we're getting short on time, but like um, really, really great point. So thank you. Um, there's a question that comes from Aurora and it also came from Dave Harland. The famous Dave Harland, I think he prefers to be introduced as these days. Um, <laughs> we're getting everyone in trouble today. Uh, Aurora asks, any tips to stop those fillers from happening? So the huzz, the ums, the so's, uh, et cetera, in your, in your presentations. The way I, I have worked on it, and I'm quite high on the fillers. If you counted mine versus some of the people that speak, I'm, I'm on the higher side. But the way I worked on it, with the first one was becoming aware. I was completely unaware, completely mm -hmm. unaware. And then it was uh, consciously doing a speech and trying to work on fillers and having someone count again. Like you need somebody to count. You need someone to keep score. Um, 
there's some quote about if you don't measure it, you can't manage it, whatever. Well, it's the, the truth is in that you, you need to just have someone keeping score and actively work on it and then practice. But it's, uh, it's, it's I, I would do it. Some people go too far and remove them. I like some because I do think it makes you less robotic, more of a human, and people like humans. So, um, but you, yeah, practice being aware. And then when you are practicing, actually having, you need a scorecard. It's as simple as that, I think. Perfect. Mate, that's our time. That's our hour, uh, which is insane. So you've smashed it. You've done such a good job. So much practical stuff in there as well. Um, and I know that, um, well, we've got Louise coming in right there saying brilliant session. Uh, we're getting too many comments now to, to, to read them out. But the, 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 the general vibe is that uh, folks are extremely grateful. So thank you very much, Max. And thank you for sharing your story. I think that grounds it in authenticity and in humanity. So uh, that means an awful lot. And thank, thank you also to everyone in the community for putting up with me this morning. Uh, <laughs> I'll be well reminded by Max, no doubt, as well as the rest of you to, to check my settings before we go live. Uh, so we will do that. So we've got the last uh, webinar of this season next Tuesday at two o'clock with Richard Cook from Monzo, uh, all about how to make uh, social media in quote unquote boring industries really stand out. Um, it's been a real sort of popular uh, talk in terms of sign-ups so far, and I really hope if you're not signed up already that you can make it next week as well. Uh, please do take the time to check out all of our sponsors and say thank you to them. That's the type of stuff that, especially as we come towards the end of the season, where we're going to have a bit of a break, where like you'll get in the follow-up email, uh, the people behind all these brands. If you could just say thank you to them on LinkedIn, if we could absolutely smash their inboxes today it just like goes such a long way in displaying the value of the marketing meetup to them uh but also you know just makes them feel appreciated as people so please do take the time to check out our sponsors and say thank you to them with all that done uh, that's us done for the week for those of you in the uk uh please look after yourselves in the heat and uh we're really really look forward to seeing you next tuesday thank you max and and thank you everyone for watching in today See you soon.